you do affects everyone else in your pool. Like when Mark pees in the pool? Seriously, man? Hey, man. Come on. You know you clean this pool out by yourself, right? What won't we do for you? <laughs> I mean, give me a break, you know what I'm saying? Joe, you tried, didn't you, buddy? You know, it's like starting a slow clap and nobody joins in. You're just like the only one like, mm, all right, forget it. But you try, tried, the man tried to stand, man, and nobody would follow. I just had to sit there and watch you, man. I love you so much. Thank you. Anyway, so here we are, third installment of the Lifeguard series. Going to have a blast, aren't we? Woo! Well, or not. I mean, but I have the microphone and you don't. So uh, that's the way it's going to be. Anyway, before we get into what we're talking about today, let's revisit where we all right, so we started off with the key verse. The key verse is Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else for it will determine the course of your life. Regardless of how you memorize that, whether it be you know, in a beat setting or whatever, you should memorize that, right? I mean, it's not like it's a big deal or anything. I mean, guarding your heart, who cares? Because it's only the course of your life that we're talking about. I mean, it's vitally important. It's such a small piece of scripture, but it has such weight, doesn't it? The course of your life is determined by the direction of your heart. So Gay talks to us about guarding our heart and, and what that's all about. She starts off with this ripple effect, right? We see the pond in the concentric circles. We know that guarding my heart affects my family and that a guarded and healthy family affects the church and that a guarded and healthy church affects the world or the community, right? All right, so it's pretty important, right? Um, we also know that uh, she gave us three ways to guard our heart. First is to know the word of God. Know the word. Study the word. I know it's boring for some people. Like, what's the point? And it's outdated. Really? Is it really outdated? I mean, I, I understand history, and, and you might think that, but how's the world going for you? <laughs> How's the news? I mean, because maybe I'm watching the wrong channel. I, I try not to watch it much at all, frankly, but it doesn't seem like things are going that great. And I compare that against the word of God, and I say, man, it seems like the word of God is telling me to, to be loving and gracious and honest and honorable as opposed to throwing stones and running over people with cars. Know the word. Know your weaknesses. The enemy knows your weaknesses. If you don't, you're in trouble. If I don't, I'm in trouble. Now, that's hard work because that means we have to admit we have weaknesses. For men, that's extraordinarily difficult. You know, women are the first people to tell you, oh, I've got all kinds. Of no, not really. None of you are, are, are good at it. Well, I'm not good at it. We don't like admitting that we have faults or weaknesses. It's always someone else's problem. The truth is it's our problem. Know your weaknesses because your enemy does. And lastly, but most importantly, know Jesus. See, the whole purpose of the word is to point you to Jesus. The whole purpose of your weaknesses is to give them to Jesus, and the whole point is Jesus. So you want to guard your heart, know the word, know your weaknesses, know Jesus. That's a guarded heart. 
Next, Buddy talks to us about the family because we know that a person who is guarded and healthy will produce, hopefully, a healthy family. Right? Because if everybody in the family is participating and guarding themselves, then they'll have a healthy, guarded family. Well, how do we do that? You know, Buddy gives us a, a, a three great examples of how to do that. But, but before we even get to it, the family's under attack, my friends. And if you don't believe that, man, get your head out of the sand. It's bad. The family unit is under full assault. They're, they're front page articles about how great it is to not have kids and not propagate the species. How great it is to just let the family die. Why? Because the family threatens the enemy. A healthy family threatens the enemy because it makes a healthy church. And the enemy is terrified of a God-centered healthy church. That's why it's under assault. They're trying to tear it apart so we do all that we can to keep it together. And that's what we've got to stay healthy. What three things did he say? Serve God together. It's so nice to see people come in and see people serving God. But how weird is it when the one spouse is constantly serving and the other one is just sitting down eating donuts? And your kids are off doing whatever. Serve together. Serve God together. Be generous. Are you modeling generosity for your family? Or are we just hoarding? Have fun together. Have fun together. Hey, we're great at having fun. Aren't we? I mean, we're great at having fun. I love my phone. I love playing stupid games on my phone. As a matter of fact, I'm going to play one right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, oh, actually, I am. I got a, I got a text from <laughs> We play these games on our phone, man, and we stare at them, and our family sits around and stares at this phone together, but not together. They're playing Golf Clash or Clash of Clans or Clash of Somebody or Bubble Pops and Pop This, Pop That, you know, whatever your, your uh, poison is. Even if it makes you smarter like words with friends or words with whomever, words with strangers, the reality of it is it's still you separating yourself from your family. You're not having fun together. You're having fun with people you never met. Why would we do that? Why would we spend time investing in people that we've never met and will never meet when the people that we supposedly love are right here? Have fun together. That's legit. Have fun together. Serve together. Be generous. So the next step, as we know, is we've got a guarded heart which Gay led us through. We've got a guarded family, which Buddy led us through. Now I'm going to hopefully lead you through a guarded church. We're going to talk about the church. What is the church? That should be the thinking person's question. What is a church? Is it a building? Is it white steeples with crosses, no crosses, auditoriums, coffee shops, no coffee shops, pews, seats? What is it? Well, those are all facilities. None of those are the church. So I'm going to give you a crash course in doctrine. Why? Because I'm a geek like that, and I can do it. Because, I, again, I have the microphone. So I want you all to do a favor. The same thing we've done in every service. You've got to participate. If you don't, I will call you out. Even though I can barely see you because of my laser beam right in my face. I'm going to find you. I just know it. Right? Hold your arms up over your head like this. If you got the John McCain action, it's okay. You can go out in the front. I'm not going to judge you for that. Arms up like that. We're going <laughs> to, I'm waiting. I will wait. I have no football to watch. I don't care. I'm seriously, I don't care. All right. 
We're going to study ecclesiology. Say it with me. Ecclesiology. Ecclesiology. Wow, everybody just did some workouts. Huh? Anybody got a fitness tracker? Huh? Just did you a favor. So ecclesiology, what does that mean? It's the doctrine of the church. But what does that mean? What it really means is Jesus said, I'm building a church. Ecclesiology says, let's find out what Jesus meant when he said, I'm building a church. That's all we care about. What did Jesus mean? Because if he started it, it, we, it behooves us to know what it means, right? If the creator of the universe said, I'm building this for you, wouldn't you want to know what that thing is so we can at least try to do it right? I would, but I'm silly like that. So the church, it's not in your notes what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to go through it quickly. <laughs> I said, I'm going to go through it quickly. Lord, help me go through it quickly. But then we'll get to how to do it in a minute, which is going to be really important. But what does church mean? Church means called out assembly. Called out assembly. All you thinking people, I know as soon as I said that, immediately reminds that called out of what? Right? That's what you all do. I know it. So I didn't have to say it, but I just wanted to do it for the few people online who may not have said that to themselves. Called out of what? Well, in the interest of time, let me save you the, the hassle. It's an open invitation from God to exit the hopeless, angry, despondent, sin-soaked world that's right outside the doors and sometimes right inside the doors. It's an invitation of God to exit the despondent, hopeless world. That's what we're called from. God says, I don't want you to die, so let me call you from death into life. From death to life. Important at all? Maybe. This is a place of life. That's the point. If it isn't a place of life, then we need to do something different and quickly. So that's why we're in this place right now. Because we have committed at Salem Fields Community Church to be a place of life. But more so, the whole body of Christ is committed to be a place of life. That means that everybody in the world, the 10 to the 23rd power that are breathing these molecules... All those people are invited. Everybody. That's more important to hear today than it was yesterday. Because as we segregate ourselves in these little uh, pockets and groups and wage war against each other, the Bible is still calling us. The Lord is still calling us. The Holy Spirit is still calling us to unity together from death to life. From death to life. It's the opposite of a roach motel. Roach motels do what? You walk in, the roach walks in, but they don't walk out. And here, the dead walk in and living walk out. That's the resurrected power of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus Christ. That's why we came. Otherwise, what's the point? In Charlottesville right now in the news, I don't need to tell you the news. If, 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 unless you, it's crazy, man. Do you think things are going well? Is that what we signed up for? Is that life? Is that community? Is that what this world is all about? Is it good? No. Give me a break. It's horrid. What's the solution? Well, uh, some would say there's a political solution. Man, good luck. Good luck with that. There's a military solution, probably. 
Is any, everybody win in a military solution? Nope. I'd say there's a solution. I'd say the, the solution is Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, I'm naive, Kelly. You're so naive, blah, 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 with your Bible and swinging. You're not, nobody's trying to run you over with the car. Trust me, they do all the time. <laughs> nobody's shouting at you. No one's, you know, screaming at you because of this, that, or the other. Man, <laughs> look, when I walked in this place, I was broken nine ways to Sunday. Right? I was addicted to money. I, I could buy and sell anything, anybody I wanted. I had all of it. And I was broken, 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 miserable. I had it all except joy. And Jesus met me. In the depth of my brokenness, at the bottom, 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 Jesus met me with open arms and love and compassion and grace and embraced me and gave me an identity. So I don't want to hear how naive it is to fight this fear and this anger and this hopelessness with love and hope because it's the only antidote that exists. And as crazy as it sounds, God chose the church to be his vehicle of love and grace. That's why he did it. What's God's intention? God intended the body of Messiah. Man, dig this, all right? It's, it should be in your notes. It's going to be on the screen. This is the definition of church. God intended the body of Messiah, the body of Christ, to be a place of unity, reconciliation, as part of his restoring creation to wholeness and renewed community. You will never find a better definition, definition than that. Unity, reconciliation, restoration, wholeness, renewal. This is the point. This is what Salem Fields was called to be. This is what the body of Christ is called to be. If this isn't happening, we have not guarded our hearts. If this isn't happening, we have not guarded our families. If you walk in this place and it is not a place of unity and reconciliation and restoration and wholeness, this is our fault. Because God has extended the invitation to do this. We are the ones that miss it. So if you've walked in this door and there's no restoration or unity, shame on us. But I can tell you this, we'll fix it. Now, I happen to know that Salem Fields is a place of unity and restoration. Why? Because I experienced it myself. And I, I know many faces that have done the same thing. That have experienced it just like me. If you haven't, you don't have to leave without it. That's the cool part. It's free. It's free. It wasn't free to Jesus, but it's free to us. God's intended for this to happen. If we're not doing it, it's on us. You know, sin broke the relationship with God and the cross repaired it. It's up to you. It's up to me. What are we going to do about it? God designed us as a place of unity. God designed us as a place of renewal. At this point in history, I think a place of renewal and unity is needed more than ever because the world's on fire. The world is on fire. Places like Charlottesville, Chicago, Baltimore, D.C., Barcelona, Paris, the Middle East, Korea. The enemy is having a field day and the world's on fire. 
What are we going to do about it? Take up arms? Facebook them to death? Shout at them? Grab the megaphone? Yeah, we can do that. That's awesome. Great. Just drive another wedge into the hearts of people that need hope? Or are we going to take the one weapon that we do have, which is the loving Holy Spirit, and just breathe it out everywhere we go? Man, it's up to us, right? Are you willing to fight for yourself? Are you willing to guard your heart? Are you willing to fight for your family? Anybody? Is anybody willing to fight for their family? I'm not just talking to you. I'm asking you. Are you willing to fight for your family? Will you fight for yourself? Will you fight for your church? I, for one, am not in a position to put my head on the chopping block just yet. I don't think I need to give up just yet because the battle's already won, the Bible tells me. It's already been finished. When Jesus uttered the words, it's finished, it's finished. Now it's just semantics. It's you and I going out and doing what we've been called to do. Will you fight with me? Not literally, because I know some of you kick my butt. (laughs) Alongside me, the darn English language. Will you fight alongside? All right, well, we're going to make a choice later, aren't we? I'm going to give you a chance to do that. We're going to see who's serious about it and who's not. No offense. If you're not, it's okay. still love you. The church has a dual purpose. Number one, it's an open door that swings inward for all that are seeking healing and restoration. Look, that door is open for anybody because it was open for me. I came in here as sin-soaked as any person, as selfish, as broken, as miserable, and angry as any person you've ever met in your life. And that door was greased perfectly, and it swung directly inward. I met somebody at the front, a lovely lady who was sitting right back there on the Saturday night service, where, right where I accepted Christ. Almost the exact same seat. It was crazy. On Saturday night, she was sitting right there. And she's the one that greeted me at the front door when God reached out to me. This is a place of restoration and healing in the blood of Christ for anybody. And if you think otherwise, if you have the goal to sit in your seat and say, yeah, that's true, but we don't want such and such, or I'm not comfortable with such and such, you'd best check your heart. Because that means you haven't guarded your heart. Because who do you or who do I think I am that I would stop anyone from walking in that door that needs healing and restoration? I would not stand before God and say, yeah, but you know them, right? Not when I know myself. Not when I know what I've done. There's no sinner that walks in this door worse than I was. I promise you that. And God met me right in that seat over there. And told me he loved me despite my wickedness. Man, this is the place. Open door. You want healing? You want restoration? Get in here. Nothing's going to stop that. The door swings both ways, however. The second focus is a door that swings outward so that people that are healed and restored can go out and push back the darkness. If we are just letting ourselves in and never getting out, we've missed the point. If we're just warming our spiritual hands by the dying Holy Spirit's fire, we've missed it. The Holy Spirit's here, ladies and gentlemen, but guess what? He goes with us out. So if you've come and you've been restored and healed and you're not taking it outward, you've missed the point. It's it's a virus that's got to be spread. Hope. We need to spread hope unless we don't have it. And if that's the case, you can. It's free. We've got to guard our hearts. 
We've got to take it serious. It's not easy. Who wants to think about their weaknesses? It sucks. Even when you have so few as me. You know, the one or two, just no fun at all. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Encourage your heart. We do that by giving it to Christ because he's the only one that can. And if we, if we do that, we commit our families to him, he'll guard our families. And those guarded families come in together and become a church which walks out and pushes back the darkness. You think there's some darkness that needs pushing? Absolutely. They don't mind pushing on us. The enemy loves pushing in on us, but you know what? Darkness and light cannot stand together. There is no darkness that light cannot penetrate. The light will always push back and the light will always win. So it is our job to get out there. So we're gonna take a look at three lifeguards for the church that make a church out of Acts 2. Acts 2 is the first early church, not the first church, the first early New Testament church. Why do I say not the first church? Because the Jews had church for centuries, millennia. Sometimes Christians are so like, like we invented church and we invented all this. I mean, come on, when we invented worship, you give me a break, man. No one worships better than Jews. That's the truth. They're awesome. They love it. They're lively. But we didn't create church. We just took it to another level. We, we, we found the, the, the Jews that made up the early church found the reason to praise. They discovered the point and they passed it on to us. Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions. This is the part that gets you, right? Good Lord, don't ask me to sell my possessions. They sold their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Get, get, look, let me dispel the myth. They were not a communist church, okay? They were common, in common. It means they took care of each other. It doesn't mean they, they fed the, the, the mothership. They took care of each other, all right? Jesus was not a communist. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. Now, that's a notion. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Those who were being saved. So if you want to know the lifeguards of the church, we're going to break this scripture down. It's called exegesis. It means we're going to take the scripture and break it apart so we can eat it better. All right, because we feast on God's word. First lifeguard, jump. Jump. I stole this from Buddy and Gay. I'm not going to lie. So I'm just giving credit where credit's due. This whole outline of the three points came from them many years ago. You know why? Because the message hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. We've got a, a bigger, louder talking head, but it hasn't changed. Jump. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking of bread and the prayers. The scripture says that the early church devoted themselves, which means they poured themselves into it. It was their highest priority. They thirsted and hungered for the word. Did they care about the apostles? Sure, it was Jesus that the apostles were talking about. That's what they were feasting on. The apostles didn't make up their own doctrine. They were just regurgitating or spilling out what Jesus poured into them. That's what we do. 
the Lord and the Holy Spirit pours into us and we pour it back out. The apostles were just doing what we're all called to do. And the people around them feasted on it. They were devoted to it. It was their cardia, their heartbeat. Now, to dispel a certain myth, like I like to do, I should have been a mythbuster, spiritual mythbuster. That's a cool show. Let's do that. The, the people that made up the early church were Jews. All right? They were practicing Jews. They did not give up being Jews when they got saved. I know that's a shocker because we think that. We think that all of a sudden they started singing like, uh, how great thou art and amazing grace back in, you know, 60 AD or whatever. But it, that's not the case, okay? That, that's not what happened. They were still Jews. They still did Jewish things. They still went to the temple and they still prayed. When the Bible says that they, they were devoted to the prayers, it was the Jewish prayers. They went to temple every day and they prayed as Jews. Why is that important? Because most people say, I'm not going to jump into church because I don't want to lose myself. They think that church somehow is going to strip your identity and make you some cookie cutter Christian. When I went to Bible college a long time ago, and the reason I ran from it is because when I got there, I didn't look like the rest of them. I had more hair at the time, and I could part my hair legitimately, but they wanted me to part my hair on the left and move it to the right. Actually, I shaved my head at the time, so that was, but which really made them mad, the funny part. They hated that even worse. So, seriously, I got fined for cutting my hair short. That's crazy. At any rate, sideburns couldn't be a link. You had to have a mustache, but you had to have, like, the cop stash. You know what I mean? It had to, like, stop at the edge of the mouth, which is, like, so bizarre. And uh, sorry about it. For you guys in the military, you got that, but weird, you know. You're better off without it, for reals. So anyway, the, the whole deal, they had to wear the, you know, a shirt to, and tie to class and all this crap. And I was like, man, this is nuts. You know, why did I pick this place? God told me to come here, but why? Did I do something wrong? Apparently I did. So they, and they actually called me in the office and they said, you got to change because God would never call someone like you to ministry. You know, I was like, man. And then I was like, what is this feeling? I hate you. <laughs> I will stay and make you miserable. And so we began the battle. And they won. <laughs> I fought the law and the law won. For real, that happened. So anyway, I, I, that was my picture of Christianity at the time. I was a new Christian. But I thought you had to be a certain way that I didn't fit. So apparently somebody else wanted me. So I left and, and took my talents elsewhere and made a bunch of money. But people think that that's what's going to happen here. They think that if they jump into church, they're going to lose themselves. That's not what happened here. That's not what, at all what happened here. Watch this video. What do I have to do next? Next time to fly. Just think happy thoughts. Come on, Peter. Think happy thoughts. All you need is one happy thought, Peter. Just one happy thought and it'll make you fly. Oh, I got it! <laughs> Not being in this slingshot would make me very happy! this movie so much it just cracks me up but I, you want to know the truth I, I've been wanting to use this movie in a sermon for the longest time because I honestly I think it, it is the picture of Christianity it's the picture of how we become who we are his exploration of becoming the pan is exactly the exploration that we go through finding ourselves but tink happy thoughts <laughs> just remember tink happy thoughts that doesn't work 
Most of us think that when we come to church, there's going to be this rec reconciliation and restoration. When we're met with other people who are just as broken as we are, begin to judge us and make us feel uncomfortable. And then they say, well, you really need to be this way. You need to do this stuff. We've just landed in a big pile of mud. And we're broken and bummed out. And then we get mad and we leave. We think that Jesus is going to steal our identity and replace it with some, you know, and it, that's not it at all. The, the point of church is to fulfill who you are. The point of church is to reveal who you truly are in Christ, who God made you to be. It's the opposite of stealing your identity. God affirms your identity. Paul does say in Christ, there's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no man, there's no woman. He's not saying that you give up your identity. He's saying we're all equal in Christ. We came to Christ equally broken, and we enter in, and we leave equally healed. So it doesn't matter where you've come from, but Paul's not saying give up your identity, give up your culture. We love your culture. Why? Because God made it. So we celebrate your culture as we walk in. We don't steal it. We celebrate it. So again, if someone walks in the door and they're different than you, what does that do to your heart? You feel a flutter in your heart? It's like, check your heart. Check your heart. God's reminding us that we're not cookie cutters. We're exactly who we're supposed to be in Christ. And that is the, what's going to reach the next person. Exactly who you are is exactly who you need to be to reach somebody. I promise you that. The Bible talks about, it's the, the Greek word in that is, is entheos. When we talk about devotion, it's called entheos. It is being filled or possessed or having God within us. Entheos. God within us. People say, how do we become a member of Salem Fields? Well, there's a couple ways. You can go through a class and, and we, we talk about where we came from, where we're going, our doctrines and all this stuff. But truly, it begins with this, entheos, being filled with God. Membership in the Salem Fields and the greater body of Christ is simply entheos, filled with God. Are you? You can answer that question. You can answer that question. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with God? If you aren't, don't leave without it. Why would you? For real, why would you? What do you have to lose? God's not trying to strip you of your identity. He wants to complete you, give you more of yourself. Freedom. God tells us in Romans, here's how we do it. You, you say, how do I do that? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you're saved. There's no magic string of words we put together. There's no magic prayer. I don't have to say this one thing. Or God says, call out to me in your brokenness. God, I need you. Would you save me? Yes, I will. Would you save me? Yes, I will. That is it. We will work out the details later. That's what the rest of this is for. But the truth is, save me. Yes. Connection made. Entheos. Step one, lifeguard, jump. Step two, grow. Grow. 
Acts 2, 43 and 40 through 45. And awe came upon every soul. You awed right now? Doggone right. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions. Oh, everyone's grabbing their wallet. Good Lord, please. I just bought a new car. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had need. Let me dispel the myth for you. God did not start the church so that everybody that came had to sell everything and give it to the church to distribute. That's what they did. That church did that. Why did they do that? Because they were Jews. Why does that matter? Because in Deuteronomy 15, God said, there will be no poor among you. I will bless you in the land that you possess so that you can take care of everyone else, your brothers and sisters. God blessed them so they could take care of each other. They took it seriously because they saw the church as the, the expression, the completion of God's command. So when they had a brother or sister that needed something, they just took care of it any way they could. Is that bad? I mean, wouldn't you want to be a part of that? They took care of each other, man, because they believed in that. They believed in each other. They knew that they were sharing the one thing that only they could claim, the blood of Christ. So they took care of each other. But there's one more miraculous thing that the church does. Watch this. is the sweetest picture of the church I've ever seen. Because if you want to know what it really is all about, it's about discovering who we really are. You see, all of us walked in the door at some point just covered in sin and shame and guilt. Just covered. Have you ever looked in the mirror and said, man, who is that person looking back at me? I have many times. And I look and I say, what happened? How did I get here? How could I have become this? Who am I? And God created the church so that people could walk in and find out who they really were meant to be. What better place to walk in with your guard down? I know it's scary, and that's our fault because we need to check our hearts. Walk in the door, and somebody look you in the eye and say, there you are. The first one to do it is Jesus. There you are. Anybody want to come up and let me rub their face? <laughs> okay. Next time. Nobody said yes. Oh, actually, they said yes outside. It was weird. This one lady said okay. <laughs> I was like, it was metaphorical. <laughs> but 
the reality is we walk in the door to discover who we are. That's the point of the church. It's a place of restoration, reconciliation, to find out who we were meant to be. If that's not happening, maybe we haven't guarded our hearts and maybe we haven't guarded our families because the church isn't functioning properly if that's not what's happening. They were together, koinonia. The Greek word is koinonia, together, in unity. You know what unity means? Unity. (laughs) All together. We're all in this together, believe it or not. Every single person listening online, sitting here, out in the cafe, or walking up and down the street had the exact same disease with the exact same prognosis, death. The difference is, some of us, man, right on, some of us found a cure. Wouldn't you want to go tell other people about that? If you don't, check your heart. Scripture says that all came upon them, all who believed, entheos, and were together, koinonia, taking care of each other. Taking care of each other. Jump, grow. How do you grow? You serve. Serve. Do something. If you're coming here to be served, you've missed the point. If you're coming here to be served, you've missed the point. We are filled so that we may pour out. If you're not serving, you're missing the point. Give. That's right, give. We shouldn't have to beg each other to give. We shouldn't have to beg each other to want to do whatever it takes to push hope into the world. What do you really think that we do with your money? Do you think we gamble it? Do you think that we mail it to, to some person who, you know, God's going to kill him if we don't give him a million dollars? What do you think we do? We use it to reach people for Christ. And what, how much was your soul worth? How much was mine worth? Man, come on. We ask people to give because God has blessed you and we use it to reach other people. That's it. That's the bottom line. Shouldn't have to beg people to give. Like the early church, we give because people need, just like we need. You serve, you give, and you go and do it. Go and be. If you say you believe, then be what you believe outside. Because that's where it matters. You think it matters in here? You think smiling and saying Christian words matters? Who cares? If you can't live it, it's all just yap. Go and be. That's what we were told to do. Jump, grow, soar. Soar. Day by day, they attended the temple. Day by day, they went out and they interfaced with people, taking hope. Day by day by day by day. They went from houses. They ate together. They did everything together. They went in the temple and they loved like crazy. And the people said, what is going on with these people? They praise God like I've never seen. They take care of each other. They eat together. They lift each other up. I want that. And the Bible says they enjoyed the favor of all people. When's the last time the church had favor of all people? Is it because we're being the church or because we're wielding judgment on people? Or is it because we tell them you better change before you walk in the door because we don't want you if you're sick. Give me a break. Or we get God's megaphone of wrath and we go blah all over people. Then what? They sit out there apart from the hope that we have? Shame on us if that's the case. 
man, we lost our way. God created us to, watch this. created you to soar. God created us to fly. You can't fly very well in here. You hit the ceiling and bounce off the walls. We're meant to soar out there. Are you soaring in your Christian life, in your life in general? Are you soaring? Are you really flying? If not, what's wrong? Should we check our hearts? Have we failed to give Christ our heart to guard it and hold it for us? Is our family falling apart because we haven't done the work to guard ourselves and guard our families? Are we in a church that the Holy Spirit's dying in? Not this church. Not this one. I can tell you that right now. Are you soaring? And if not, what's wrong? Because you're missing the point. You were created to soar. I'm not saying life's going to be perfect. And I mean, like the show Jesse, it's party every day even though it would be cool. It should be. Because the battle's already won, ladies and gentlemen. I know that life's hard. I know that bills come due. I know there's shortages of money and, and everything else and the Charlottesvilles and all the crap that's happening in the world. I get that, but we're saved. We're redeemed. We're free from death. Why not party with that and show other people in the face of evil, in the face of death and destruction, we could still praise God. Why? Because we are redeemed. And you can be too. That's the point. If you're not flying, you're missing it. But guess what? Soaring, we have to do it in unity together. It's not a solo flight. And in our own best intentions, we can't do it. We can't. I don't care how much you try in your humanness, you will not do it together. Because we're doing it for an ulterior motive. Pleasing ourselves. The only way we can do it is the Greek word homothymidon. One heart and one mind. One heart, one mind. That only happens through the heart and mind of Christ. Unless we are unified in the blood of Christ, we will not do it. How do you do it? Galatians 2.20, Paul tells us, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. In this life that I live in the flesh, I live by the Spirit and faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. That is the formula because anything good that comes out of this fat mouth or out of this head is because of Christ. You understand? Only reason I soar is because of Christ. He's the only one who could get me off the ground, man. I soar because of him. He's good. He's so good. A healthy church 
makes it possible to have a healthy community. It's the only way. You want to make a difference in Charlottesville? Be a church. You want to make a difference in L.A., down the street in Livingston, kids that need glue sticks, for goodness sakes, be a church. You want to make a difference in your family? Be a church. In your life, be a church. In this community right here, we don't need to go to Charlottesville. It's right here. Be a church. I'm going to throw down an ultimatum to you in a minute. Band's going to come out. I just want you to see this video. I want you to, to get an idea of what it looks like when the church is the church. Check it out. my idea of the church. <laughs> I'm weird, right? It's a good thing I don't run this church. That's what it would look like, you know? Play, play, you know? Here's the deal. You can jump, you can grow, and you can... No, crow. Come on, you didn't watch that? No, I'm just kidding. Soar. It's up to you. you Got to guard your heart, to guard your family, to guard this church, to go out and push back the darkness. I'm going to ask you two things. Number one, if you have no desire to take the hope that we've talked about today anywhere, and it's some, would you check your heart? There's no shame in this, but it's possible that you've never given your heart to Christ. Because I promise you, if he's holding it, he's breathing love and grace all over it, which is causing you to just to go out and have to say something to somebody. Not take up arms, not wave flags or, or, or crush people on Facebook, but to go out and take some hope and love because it's the only thing that's going to beat back the darkness. If that's not inside you, why leave without it? I would ask you during the next worship song, would you just do one thing for me? Cry out to God. I'm not going to give you any magic phrase. Cry out to God, would you save me? Because I need you. I can't do this on my own. Would you save me? 
And I can guarantee you by the authority of Scripture, he'll say yes immediately. We'll work out the details later. Secondly, if you are redeemed by the blood, if you are, in fact, a believer in Christ, I'm going to ask you to come forward and let me pray with you as a church. I'm going to ask you to, to, to put your money where your mouth is. Come forward. Stand up here during this song, and we're going to pray together because we're going to go out and do what we've been called to do. We're going to do that, and I want to do it with you. Will you do it with me? Yes. Will you be a part of this revolution with us? Yes. Buddy and Gabe have been leading this for 20-plus years. Can we just do it right now? Can we go out in this community and make a real difference today? Join me when the time comes. Would you do that? Yes. Let's rise and, pr and uh, praise one more time. Worship. That's what I'm trying to say, Jody. Come on, worship.
so here we stand together, committed to going out and doing what we've been called to do. Jesus said in Matthew 28, I command you to go. It wasn't a suggestion or, hey, would you consider doing this? Or It was a commandment, go. Go and do exactly what I've taught you to do. Our job is to jump, to grow, and soar, and spread the truth that we've received. If we aren't doing that, ladies and gentlemen, man, we gotta check our hearts. Your family is important enough that you should do all it takes to check your heart. And when you bring back that killer, healthy, God-devoted, Christ-centered family, we're gonna build this church like nobody's business because you won't be able to help but go out and spread the news so that other people that need it will come in. Don't you know somebody that needs it? Are you willing to fight for yourself? Will you fight for your families? Will you fight for your neighborhoods? Then I, I would charge you in this prayer that when we get done, go. Go. And let's see what happens next week, shall we? Father God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for the hearts and minds of those that have decided today, Father God, to glorify you with everything that they are by accepting your challenge and partnering with you. God, you don't need us. You just ask us to participate. You're using us to push back the darkness, God, and the darkness cannot prevail against it. For you have already won. God, protect our hearts. We give you our hearts, God. Hold them, protect them, make us strong so that we would build the family of our dreams, so that we would build the church that you desired and created, a place of hope and reconciliation and restoration and community so that we can go out and do battle with the darkness that's already lost. God, they fear us. The darkness quakes at this, God. The enemy is sour right now because he knows that we have awoken to the truth and we're gonna take it out and do battle. And God, as you go before us, there's nobody to fight. It's already done. So Father, we claim victory today in the name and the blood and the precious grace that Jesus has given us. And Father, from here we go. Amen. Go and do likewise. Make us.